Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mexican Soccer Show. It's actually a mini pod. Um, it's just be me today. Um, I, I sent a message over uh, to Amy. I felt a little bad that we didn't have an episode this week. And I know a couple of you sent me messages um, if we we're going to have a pod or not. Uh, we didn't get a chance to do so. I blame, I blame myself here. I probably should have pushed for it, but I got a little busy with work and a little lazy, actually, to be honest. But I wanted to record something really quickly um, because it was definitely a big week um, in Mexican soccer. And we have to start with the one-to-one away draw uh, versus uh, Jamaica earlier this week. It was um, pretty underwhelming, I guess, at the at the very least. Um, you know, unfortunately, it kind of feels like uh, almost deja vu-like with, with L3, where it feels like they're getting narrow wins, they're getting, you know, low-scoring draws, you know, they had that loss to Uruguay, and even in that 3 nothing win uh, against Suriname before this game, it just felt, once again, underwhelming, which is weird because on paper, you know, if, if you weren't a Mexico fan, if you were an outsider, and also apologize if, you, if, if any of you already read my article on ESPN recently, I'm going to be rehashing the same, the same ideas that I had on, on that article. But, you know, on paper, if, if, you're, if you're an outsider, you might be a little confused why fans are frustrated with L3 because, you know, we, we qualified for the World Cup. Yeah, Mexico has actually a pretty good start to the Nations League, if you think about it. Uh, you know, the 3 nothing win at home, a 1-1 away draw versus Jamaica, they're put, that puts them in a really good position. You know, and even if you look at World Cup qualifying recently, you know, Mexico was level on points with with Canada, you know, and were it not for, for a different goal differential, like Mexico could potentially be on top. And we've seen all the hype and excitement surrounding, uh, you know, Canada uh, in recent months and I should say years, too. But if you're listening to this pod, uh, <laughs> you're probably someone who watches L3 all the time. And I'm guessing more than likely you're frustrated. And I think that's 100 percent fair. You know, and that's why it was really interesting watching that game against Jamaica. You know, this is a way game against Jamaica. Mexico was pushing for, it was one-to-one. They are pushing for the game winner. They look like they're probably, they're, they're really starting to improve in the second half. But yet, despite that, you start to hear fuera tata, tata out. You know, in English, as you, as you all know, like, um, you're hearing tata out all the way in Kingston. And to me, that really... I don't know, that really, that caught my attention because in the U.S. or Mexico, like, yeah, that makes sense. But for away fans to make that trip and then to be yelling that towards stuff, I, mean, I think that, as I wrote in my article, like, I think that literally, that literally speaks volumes, you know? And I think it's fair for, for fans to feel that way, you know? Over the last several months, whether it be starters in, in World Cup qualifiers, whether it be backups or alternates uh, in the Nations League or a mix of those in, in friendlies, it's, it's, it really has felt the same. You know, the midfield has looked average. The creativity is really, really bad in the final third. And the attack, the finishing is really bad. And just a lot of really, really bad individual performances. And, you know, maybe this, you know, maybe this isn't surprising because, you know, what I was thinking about when I was writing my piece, you know, after late 2021, and, you know, when I was thinking about, like, you know, what changed, what, like, what really, you know, how, how how did this happen to L3? Because when Tata first showed up, it was exciting soccer. It was really attack-minded, really exciting soccer. That, and that's kind of what we were expecting to happen. But I, I think 20, 20, late 2021, that's when things really started to change for for L3. 
Um, you know, you, you, yeah, like their attack was a little bit more, I don't know, I, I, it, was, it was much more exciting than the attack that we're seeing now. But do you, if, if all of you remember, in, in late 2021, the big conversation for L3 was that the attack is good, but the defense is really bad. <laughs> and, that, and that was a conversation. And I think it was, and we saw that in the losses to the U.S. and the, and the losses to Canada World Cup qualifiers. And I think that kind of rattled that a little bit. I think that kind of like, I know, got into his psyche a little bit. And I think he did a good job of being more patient more pragmatic, I guess, if you want to say, um, in the new year to end World Cup qualifying and 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 to get Mexico to the World Cup because that was the ultimate goal. And he he did a good job doing that. But it's it's almost too patient, you know. And we see that when watching all three, you know, that it, it's 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 almost as if he's kind of I don't know, like he's really asking his players to take a step back, to take a step back, or to be more cautious, or to not take as many risks. And and yeah, it's helped Mexico qualify for you know, the World Cup, but in Mexico's last 12 games, uh, most of which have been, or actually, I think, yeah, the 12 games from this year, because Mexico plays an incredible amount of games, but in eight of those games, they've only scored one goal or zero goals, and that's, that's, that's not ideal, you know, that's, that's definitely not ideal, you know, and, and, yeah, what I thought was interesting was Luis Romo, um, he was pretty self-critical about, uh, on L3, um, after the, the recent one to one draw with Jamaica, he, he said that Mexico got stuck. Um, and that was, I think that was a word that kind of like stood out to me is that Mexico got stuck in the second half. And, and after, after the 3 0 loss to Uruguay, you know, Tata Martino was also a little self critical. Uh, you know, and he, you know, when they asked him if, if you know, if, if Mexico was ready you know, f- for the World Cup, and he said, you know, just specifically looking at that game, no, they're far. You know, he said that they're quite far from from being ready. And then he said something along the lines of, "But you know, this is part of you know the preparation. When you have friendlies, you're going to have you know, situations like these, like this, where there's really like good and bad moments." But he says he he still has time to push Mexico to the level that he wants them to be at before the World Cup. And the issue is with each passing game. I don't know. That's becoming more and more dif- difficult to to believe. <laughs> you know, that's and that's the truth. You know, and you. And you start to look around, you start to wonder, like, okay, like, who, maybe there's going to be a, a savior here, you know, maybe, maybe something will work out with, with, with Chicharito, maybe there will be more conversations, but as Tata has also said in the past, that, you know, just because he's talking with Chicharito doesn't mean that he's going to call him up, you know, I, I think the line that he said recently about Chicharito was that if um, every time he had a conversation with a player, um, and they were therefore, uh, and if that meant that they were uh, being called up to the national team, the national team would have would have seventy players. Was the way that he was kind of like joking around, like, I, you know, that. So just because talking to Chicharito doesn't mean that Chicharito is going to come back, you know. So so you wonder, like, all right, well, what about someone like Marcelo Flores? Like, I, I think he's been to me when I when I when I watched him recently, he kind of looks like it's almost like as if Mexico is missing a piece of the puzzle there in the attack, and you watch Marcelo Marcel Flores, and you're like, okay. You, he's the one that that's like that that's that's who we need like that's that that's who we need in the attack and that is a hundred percent what L3 needs but at the same time though it doesn't look like Tata is going to be giving that many opportunities to to Marcelo Flores you know I mean the fact that he the fact that he wasn't in the starting 11 in the last two games which he was available for I think that's really telling. I think that's very, very telling. And 
you know, and, and let's and you know, let's not forget though that like when it comes to Marcelo Flores, you know, yes, he he's someone who hasn't gotten a start yet in the Premier League, but he has really high potential. But at the same time, you know, this is this is someone who wasn't given that start in the eleven, you know, for Tata recently, and I don't know. And he he always when and when when Tata talks about Marcelo Flores, what he's what he often says is, you know, he, he, he says a lot about patience with Flores, patience with him, patience about getting him into the team. So maybe, maybe it won't be Flores. Maybe, maybe it'll be a Diego Linus. I'm not sure. It's there. there I guess, I, I guess, as you can see here, there's, there's a lot of questions uh, surrounding L3 right now. And I know a lot of you listening to this are probably thinking, well, it's like, oh, easy, fire Tata, <laughs> you know, Fuera Tata, which, you know, knowing the FMF, you know, that wouldn't actually be a surprising thing, would it? It wouldn't actually be surprising if they did, in fact, fire Tata. And it wouldn't be the first time that an interim manager, you know, steps in to try to take uh, take charge of all three uh, before a World Cup. And as tactic as it might be, and as tempting people feel like that's a good solution, the, the reality is there's too little time. You know, if... If I'm just if I'm already talking here saying that, you know that 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 might be running out of time to to fix things before the World Cup, then what would that even mean for a new manager bringing a new system, new ideas, potentially even new players? That's just there. There are too many variables there, and as we've talked about on the show too, you know who who what realistic option would there be for for all three? And when you look at these realistic options, yeah, some of them you know might be exciting, you know, but maybe these options deserve an opportunity in a new year and a new cycle and 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 not before the world cup where there's just I, I think it almost be unfair to be honest i think it almost be unfair for a new manager to have to step in and have such incredibly high expectations before the world cup and i think i don't know in, in the end tata is the one who helped mexico qualify for the world cup i think he deserves a chance and and as we've talked about the show, a poor run to the World Cup doesn't mean a poor World Cup. We've seen that several times. That even though a team struggled before World Cup, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have a World Cup. But as I mentioned in my piece, if if that's if that's our optimism, if that's how happy we, if that's our source of happiness, is that just because we're bad, that doesn't mean it's going to be in the bad in the World Cup. Then, then yeah, don't expect the 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 Fuera Tata chance to be dying out <laughs> at a, at a, any point soon. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, um, which is why I wanted to record a, a quick pod, was obviously it was a big deal um, yesterday. They announced the host cities for the 2026 World Cup. Um, obviously, it's going to be in the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Um, so a quick rundown. Um, it's going to be 11 venues in the U.S., three in Mexico, and two in Canada. Um, so the ones from the U.S. is going to be New York, New Jersey, so that's one uh, at, at MetLife Stadium. Los Angeles, Dallas, San Francisco Bay Area, Miami, Atlanta, Seattle, Houston, Philadelphia, Kansas City, and Boston. And then from Mexico, you're going to have Guadalajara, you're going to have Monterrey, you're going to have Mexico City, and in Canada, you have uh, Toronto uh, and Vancouver. So um, big deal there. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know when it comes when it comes to who will be hosting the opening match, and it did look like um, um, 
they, they were kind of insinuating it. It's not, not, not official yet, but they were insinuating um, that you might have three opening matches across the three regions. Um, if, if, if any of you didn't get a chance to see the draw, um, it's very obvious um, that they organized it in a way where there's a west region, a central region, and an east region uh, for the cities. So um, it's not nothing official yet, but my guess, um, if we're looking ahead, my guess is that there's going to be three opening matches in each region. And if you look at a map, you can see kind of see where the east, west, uh, central region is at. Or um, you can uh, you can rewatch the draw and uh, see which one's west, east, uh, and central. So I think I, I, that's my assumption is that you're going to have three opening matches and then. Uh, from each region, and then we'll see uh, where the final is at. So I, obviously, you know, a lot of people are asking, like, where are the games going to be at? You know, like, where, where's the final going to be at? Where's the semis going to be at? Where's the, where are the opener is going to be at? Um, and uh, in the press conference after the match, uh, Gianni Infantino, the FIFA president, he said, uh, quote, we still have to discuss that. We still have to analyze that. We will take a decision in due course. So that's what he said. Nothing is official yet. Um, uh, although we do have to remember that um, in the original bid and the original plan that Mexico, United States, and Canada put out, uh, the the original and obviously things can change. Um, but uh, Mexico and Canada are only supposed to get ten games each, so ten in Canada, ten in the United, and ten in Mexico, and then the rest sixty will be in the United States. And according to that bid, and once again this could change, um, all matches from the quarterfinals to the final are supposed to be in the United States. Once again, none of this is official, so there might be, maybe there will be a quarterfinal, a semi, or maybe even a final or third place uh, game in Mexico or Canada. Uh, I doubt it, to be honest. Uh, if I had to make a guess, it would probably be, the final would probably be in New York uh, or Los, Ange Los Angeles, but that's just me, you know, making a, making a guess. Um, uh, the CONCACAF uh, president, Victor Montagliani, on the, in the press conference uh, yesterday, he said that there's going to be a lot of factors going into choosing the, uh, where the finals could be at. And he said the capacity of the stadium is probably the f first and foremost, the most important thing. Um, and then uh, Infantino, after that, said that for the criteria, you know, he did mention that weather is one, uh, you know, capacity, uh, the population of the city. And he also said the cooperation, which, you know, make of that what you will. <laughs> when he said the cooperation with cities uh whether they get a, a final or an opener or a big game <laughs> because during that same press conference um there was a reporter from the associated press who also who also asked uh infantino you know why uh fifa has gone uh, allegedly gone to you know, government authorities asking for sales tax exemptions and other breaks um and infantino's answer was this long-winded kind of, uh, oh, well, you know, we, re we reinvested into the world's game, blah, blah, blah. Um, he says that they're bringing a lot of, you know, uh, you know, money into these countries. And the way that he put it, which I don't know, don't necessarily agree, but, you know, he said, uh, we think when it comes to requirements of people for the World Cup, this is a fair compromise. So I'm not entirely sure if that is fair, but, you know, make it that way, you will. Um, but yeah, um, so... Uh, but yeah, it was interesting to see um, Montagliani also said that when it comes, uh, so that's the CONCACAF president, uh, what that was fascinating, and that was the line that stood out to me the most, and this is his quote, um, so he said, at the end of the day, the selection was very, very difficult for us, 
I don't want to underestimate that. In fact, the selection came right down to last night, this morning, to be quite frank with you, because there's so many moving parts doing this. So that was his quote. And I thought that was fascinating that literally some of these decisions for choosing the host cities, it, it, it was literally made, I mean, the CONCAF president said it right there, the night before and the day before announcing the uh, the selections. And, you know, if, if, if you read the tea leaves, if you're looking at, you know, if you're kind of reading some of the articles that were predicting which host cities would be selected, it seems like the Mexico sites were set and it was always going to be Monterrey, it was always going to be Mexico City, it was always going to be uh, Guadalajara. And it seemed like there were some last minute decisions, like perhaps maybe even literally last minute decisions made for um, the sites in uh, US uh, and Canada. Um, yeah, for the World Cup 2026, uh, yeah, uh, it looks like, yeah, Infantino did say that they'd be playing in clusters. So I'm guessing, yeah, that's east, west, central region so that fans don't have to travel, um, as he put it, crazy distances. And so the teams don't have to travel too much. Um, there was a, I forget his name. He was the, uh, yeah, F uh, yeah, Colin Smith, uh, FIFA chief competitions and event uh, officer who did say that they are going to have to make some alterations um, to NFL stadiums because they're really narrow. Um, but that they're going to, he said it's just going to be on the pinch points. Um, so it's not going to be the whole area of the pitch and just, um, I guess, dealing with some of the narrow aspects uh, of the field. And, and it's not going to have an impact uh, on the capacity. Um, but yeah, no, that, so yeah, that was officially official. Uh, all, all those sites. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how that goes in uh, 2026. And also shout out, you know, you got to give a, give a shout out to, to the Estadio Azteca um you know now that they're going to be hosting uh yeah, another world cup that'll be the the first uh venue uh to be hosting uh three men's world cups and also to mexico uh to be the first country to either host or co-host three men's world cups so that's pretty cool and i think that's even though it's only uh 10 matches uh, that that Mexico are going to have in the 2026 World Cup. Well, once again, it's all it was all part of the bid, so maybe it will change. Maybe it'll be more. Maybe it'll be less. But that's still a very, very, very cool thing that's uh, happening over uh, for 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 Mexico. Um, and also, uh, yeah, really quickly before I wrap things up, um, it's June 17th. Uh, so uh, happy anniversary of Chucky defeating Germany in 2018. Uh, Ochoa uh, denying Brazil in that 0-0 in 2014. Uh, Blanco and Chicharito scoring on France uh, to win it in 2010. And also the Dos Acero in 2002. I thought that was kind of funny. I feel like, um, yeah, it's, you, know, you, you got to celebrate uh, everything that's, you know, that, that Mexico's done in, uh, in, in the World Cup and on June 17th. You know, there have been some big, big games. But also... Probably the most painful game too. I feel like we've all been overlooking that <laughs> as well. That that uh, that round of sixteen loss to the United States uh, in two thousand two. Um, and for any of you who want to relive that pain of <laughs> uh, the ultimate dos acero, I guess if you will, uh, I wrote a piece uh, with uh, Eric Gomez over at ESPN. Um, I had a chance to talk to Landon Donovan uh, and also Pablo Mastroeni. Uh, they were both involved. Uh, they were both in the starting 11 for the United States in that game. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, they gave, they gave some fantastic quotes and, uh, it was a fun piece to write. I enjoyed working on it. Uh, did not enjoy 
personally revisiting <laughs> that game, which I like to pretend doesn't exist. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, but but yeah, uh, I I think that's about it. I don't think there is a uh, anything else that I, I need to cover. Um, but thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully, you enjoy this uh, without even though it was just me. Um, so maybe it was terrible, but, uh, but yeah, thank you to listen to this little, uh, this mini pod. Um, and yeah, and we'll be back next week. And obviously there's a, it's going to be a lot going on going forward. We got the, you know, we got the CONCACAFW championship coming up. We got the league MX season coming back. You know, obviously we got more L3, uh, matches before the world cup. So, uh, oh, the U20 championship too. Um, we got, uh, well, actually, I was going to start to bring up USL Championship stuff, but I think that's when you guys start turning off this podcast if I start talking about the USL Championship. So I think I think that, that's a good note to end the pod. <laughs> but, but thank you all for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see you next week. All right, see you around.